Then Pilate took Jesus and had him flogged. The soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head. They clothed him in a purple robe and went up to him again and again, saying, Hail, King of the Jews! They slapped him in the face. Once more Pilate came out and said to the Jews gathered there, Look, I am bringing him out to you to let you know that I find no basis for a charge against him. When Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, Pilate said to them, Here is the man. And as soon as the chief priests and their officials saw him, they shouted, Crucify! Crucify! But Pilate answered, You take him and crucify him. As for me, I find no basis of a charge against him. The Jewish leaders insisted, we have a law, and according to that law, he must die, because he claimed to be the Son of God. When Pilate heard this, he was even more afraid, and he went back inside the palace. Where do you come from? He asked Jesus. But Jesus gave him no answer. Do you refuse to speak to me, Pilate said? Don't you realize I have power either to free you or to crucify you? Jesus answered, You would have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. Therefore, the one who handed me over to you is guilty of a greater sin. From then on, Pilate tried to set Jesus free, but the Jewish leaders kept shouting, If you let this man go, you are no friend of Caesar. Anyone who claims to be a king opposes Caesar. And when Pilate heard this, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judge's seat at a place known as the Stone Pavement, which in Aramaic is Gabbatha. It was the day of preparation of the Passover. It was about noon. Here is your king, Pilate said to the Jews. But they shouted, take him away, take him away, crucify him. Shall I crucify your king? Pilate asked. We have no king but Caesar, the chief priests answered. Finally, Pilate handed him over to be crucified. So the soldiers took charge of Jesus. From John chapter 19, verses 17 through 37. Carrying his own cross, he went out to a place of the skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. Here they crucified him, and with him two others, 
one on each side, and Jesus in the middle. Pilate had a notice prepared and fastened to the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Many of the Jews read the sign, for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and the sign was written in Aramaic, Latin, and Greek. The chief priests of the Jews protested to Pilate, Do not write the King of the Jews, but that this man claims to be the King of the Jews. Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. When the soldiers crucified Jesus, they took his clothes, dividing them into four shares, one for each of them, with the undergarment remaining. This garment was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. Let's not tear it, they said to one another. Let's decide by lot who will get it. This happened that the scripture might be fulfilled, which said, They divided my garments among them and cast lots for my clothing. So this is what the soldiers did. Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Dear woman, here is your son. And to the disciple, here is your mother. From that time on, this disciple took her into his home. Later, knowing that all was now completed and so that the scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge in it, put the sponge on a stalk of the hyssop plant, and lifted it to Jesus' lips. When he had received the drink, Jesus said, It is finished. And with that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Now it was the day of preparation, and the next day was to be a special Sabbath. Because the Jews did not want the bodies left on the crosses during the Sabbath, they asked Pilate to have the legs broken and the bodies taken down. The soldiers therefore came and broke the legs of the first man who had been crucified with Jesus, and then those of the other. But when they came to Jesus and found that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. Instead, one of the soldiers pierced Jesus' side with a spear, bringing forth a sudden flow of blood and water. The man who saw it has given testimony, and his testimony is true. He knows that he tells the truth, and he testifies so so that you may also believe. These things happened so that the scripture would be fulfilled. Not one of his bones would be broken. And as another scripture said, they will look on the one they have pierced. There is a reason we call Good Friday good. And it has everything to do with how God demonstrated his love for us, that God not only tells us he loves us, but he shows us he loves us. I'm sure you may remember probably the most famous passage, John three sixteen, for God so loved the world that he gave. See, Jesus was convicted for crimes he didn't commit. He was beaten for our betrayal. He paid the penalty for our past. He carried our crimes to the cross. He died so we could live, and he did it for people who didn't deserve it. One scripture says it like this. This is the Apostle Paul from Romans chapter 5, verses 6 through 8. It'll serve as our focus for this evening. He says, you see, at just the right time when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. What this says to us tonight is that God loves because he is loving, not because we are lovable. 
Uh, just this past week, our men's group, we, we've uh, been going through the book of Daniel together, and, and there was a, a part of his prayer in Daniel chapter 9 that caught my attention. Daniel is praying here for himself and for his nation when he says, Give ear, our God, and hear. Open your eyes and see the desolation of the city that bears your name. We do not make requests because of you, because we are righteous, but because of your great mercy. We don't pray because we have our act together. We pray because of your mercy. God loves his children for one reason and one reason alone. He loves because he's loving, not because we're lovable. It's God's love that drove him to do what we remember tonight, that on Good Friday, we remember God's goodness. The fact is, is that sin, by way of a definition, is doing what we shouldn't do, but it's also not doing what we should do. Sin is essentially doing what we want instead of doing what God wants. And we're all guilty of this. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We've all missed the target. We've all missed the mark. I don't know if you know this, but we have competitive archers in the house tonight. They don't miss the mark often, but that's the meaning of the phrase of fall short, is that we fall short of our target. Not only do we act sinfully, we think sinfully. What's in us naturally comes out of us. We sin because we're sinners. One of the passages that one of my professors at Taylor had us memorize was Genesis 6-5, where he says, the Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on earth, and that every inclination of the thought of the human heart was only evil all the time. When we sin, we break God's laws, and breaking a law is a crime, and crimes carry consequences. One of those consequences is separation. Isaiah bringing this out in Isaiah 59.2, where he says, but your iniquities, he's speaking to his people, your iniquities have separated you from your God. Your sins have hidden his face from you. And another consequence is death, something Paul brings out in Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. So what if we want to be closer to God? What power do we have to bridge the gap? This passage says that we're powerless. If we want life, what power do we have over death? None. We're powerless. We are unable to make things right with God. Scripture says none of us is godly. We're all ungodly. Being godly is being like God, and we are altogether unlike God. Yes, even me, just ask my family. We're all sinners. Being a sinner is being rebellious. We commit treason against our God and King, and treason is punishable by death. A price had to be paid. He died for us to carry our crimes to the cross. Uh, we were the ones who deserve God's wrath, but instead, God gives grace. He expresses mercy. The Apostle Paul telling the church in Ephesus, he says, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in sin. It's by grace that you've been saved. We may not be lovable, but you better believe we are loved. There's an account of Jesus hanging out with people who were sick, and they knew it. 
Not so much physically sick or emotionally, relationally, but as we know, sometimes when we're feeling that emotional or relational or sometimes mental sickness, it can show up in physical sickness. But they were definitely spiritually sick, and they knew it. But there were those in that crowd as well who thought they were well and didn't care to admit it. Before Matthew became a disciple of Jesus and long before he would be a writer of a life story of Jesus, Matthew was a tax collector. People who collected taxes were looked down upon because they were committing treason against their own nation. They were seen as the worst of people. And Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house with a bunch of his friends. The Pharisees in the crowd asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus overheard them and responded, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. You see, God's desire is to show mercy. His desire is to forgive. His desire is to express love. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I have come not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. The problem with one group of people is that they thought they were right with God, but they were not. And then the other group, they knew they were sick. And they knew what they needed. See, we're sick but we know a healer. Uh, we were broken, but we know a mender. Uh, we were down, but we know the one who can pick us up. We're unlovable, but we know a lover. We're loved, not because we're lovable, but because God is loving. How about this for a scripture memory for you? First John 4, 8 simply says this and repeat this after me. God is love. You've just memorized scripture tonight. Isn't that awesome? You probably didn't know that you're going to come tonight and, and memorize scripture. It just simply is God is love. See, when God loves, he's simply expressing his nature. He can't help it. <laughs> well, we often use that line when somebody is behaving badly. Oh, they just can't help themselves, right? But God just can't help himself because... He loves because that's in his character to love. See, we receive God's love because he's loving. We receive God's forgiveness because he's forgiving. We receive his grace because he's gracious. And we receive his mercy because he's merciful. And John, we've already spent some time with John, haven't we, the past seven weeks? A little bit later this year, we're going to continue to spend some time with John. But he says in one of his letters to the churches in 2 John chapter 4, verses 8-10, through 10, he says, This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. God showed his love, past tense. There was a, a, a time in history when he did that. He demonstrated his love. And what's interesting, though, is even way back in history, you've got the prophet Isaiah talking about the crucifixion of Jesus some 700 years before it even happens. That Jesus, from Isaiah's words, would be despised and rejected, a man of suffering and familiar with our pain. Jesus took our pain and, and bore our suffering, and in our place he was punished for our past. He was pierced and crushed for our sins. His punishment brought us peace, words of Isaiah, and by his wounds we are healed. And what we remember tonight is how Jesus was arrested at night and then brought before the Jewish and Roman authorities that he was whipped. They mocked him by putting a purple robe on him, a crown of thorns placed on his head. He was then led away to be crucified. And Jesus was crucified at nine in the morning, was on the cross for over six hours. Some commentators often see that the first three hours 
have to do with the wrath of man, but the next three hours have to do with the wrath of God because it was during that last three hours, darkness fell over the land. Darkness is often a sign of judgment throughout scriptures. Uh, Nails were driven through the wrist area and into his feet. Victims didn't typically die by bleeding out. They died by asphyxiation. You couldn't breathe anymore because you're pulling yourself up in order to take each breath. This is how God demonstrated his love for us through Jesus. Jesus was pierced when we should have been, but Jesus being pierced paid the price for our past. Jesus was crushed when we should have been, but Jesus being crushed carried our crimes to the cross. Jesus was punished when we should have been, but his punishment brought us peace, and now we can have peace with God. We can have a relationship with him. God is loving. God demonstrates his love for us. What's interesting is when John brought it up, God showed it was a time, a time in the past. What's interesting about this passage is that God demonstrates present tense. What does that mean? I think though we can look back to a past event, it brings up a present reality that there's a gift for each and every one of us. God's offering us a gift, and he offers love to the unlovable. Jesus sacrificed himself so that our sins could be forgiven. Forgiveness through his sacrifices received by faith. Paul says in Romans 3.25, God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. John in chapter 1, verse 12, he says, Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, that when we receive him and receive his sacrifice made on our behalf, when we believe him, when we put our confidence in him, when we trust him with our lives, we become his son, his daughter. We may not be lovable, but we are loved. In closing, I love what Matt Chandler said. He says, the marker of those who understand the gospel of Jesus Christ is that when they stumble and fall, when they screw up, they run to God and not from him. Because they clearly understand that their acceptance before God is not predicated upon their behavior, but on the righteous life of Jesus Christ and his sacrificial death. Father, I pray that this can be an evening where we continue to not only remember now the sacrifice of love, the cross of love, but that we would carry that through this next week, and especially knowing that Sunday is right around the corner.
Gladly. 